This podcast is sponsored by Logos Bible Software. If you've been longing for the tools to take your Bible study deeper, you need to try out Logos. I've been personally using Logos for over a decade now for both my devotional and pastoral study. Right now, Logos has partnered with the Kingdom Dreamers to bring you exclusive savings. Check out at logos.com forward slash Kingdom Dreamer or click the link in the show notes for our exclusive offer. Does I have a dream? Staggered by the winds of police brutality. Uh, you have been the veterans of creative suffering. The ballot or the bullet is to either ignore them or, or to deny them without giving And we stand together to win the war. One all family. Yes, we can. Welcome, 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 welcome one, welcome all, welcome some, welcome all y'all to the Wild Wild World Show, brought to you by Kingdom Dreamers. This is the podcast of conscious Christian conversations about the chaos of the cosmos, all of those cosmos, the myriad, uncountable, is that uncountable word, uncountable stars and planets and galaxies and all that stuff out there, all that chaos we talking about right here, right now. With y'all, myself, Kara Kellen Reeves, and my wonderful illustrious co-host there, Will Arahorn. What's going yep. on, Big Willie? Man, out here living life, ready to drop some knowledge on the people because there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, man. Drop that knowledge with the capital K. Yep. That's what I'm talking about. So before we get into it, look, we just want to remind y'all, please, we we need y'all support and your love. Go ahead and, and and subscribe, download the episodes, all the episodes. Give us a, a, a rating. Hit us with some comments wherever you find Kingdom Dreamer, whether that's uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, where else we at? Google Play or whatever. Um, yep. Wherever you download your podcast, check us out. If you're on YouTube. Subscribe to the Kingdom King, Kingdom Dreamer page. Drop us a comment. We appreciate all of that. You can also check us out on the Twitters at Kingdom X Dreams. You can check Will out at, at William Ara Horn and myself at Old Boy underscore K underscore R. Uh, also, you can check us out at www.patreon.com backslash Kingdom Dreamers. Sorry, I read that wrong. Uh, and yes, I did give the Patreon link because we want y'all to check us out, support. Um, you can, you can uh, support for as low as a couple bucks a month, get a whole lot of merch gear get some special patreon only content um we can use the support and of course you can always go directly to kingdomdreamer.com get some of that merch you see me and will if you're watching on youtube we got the hats on you know i've been rocking the hoodie this week we got the t-shirts um a lot of different merch that that we're dropping on folks and really this kingdom dreamer thing is going to go somewhere so now that all that's out the way that last 45 seconds I, I got to ask a real question because, Will, you've been going through it, not going through it in a negative way, right? You've been hitting some milestones in life, and I'm going to put your business on the street, right? You you just had a wedding anniversary, Will. True, true. Your baby just hit a milestone, just also a, you true. know, age milestone. So you out there in, in, in Kentucky, in, in KY, in the bluegrass, in the home of nappy roots, you know, and, mm. and, and, and Rick Patino and all of those cats, right? Like, 
Rick Pitino is the first thing you think of. I don't know. Rick Pitino first thing I thought of when I thought of Kentucky basketball. Not even Calipari. You got Rick no, Pitino. I thought of Rick Pitino. I went all the way back. <laughs> okay. All right. But look, uh, but no, for real, how, like, how are you doing, Will? Like, do you got some old man advice for us? Are you learning some things? You getting some wisdom that you can drop on the people? Mm-hmm. I don't know, wisdom. So I've been married for seven years now. That's a long mm-hmm. time, right? Uh, mm-hmm. My child's five months today. That's a short time. So I don't know. I feel like I'm in, I feel like I'm in year one again, man, because it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm in a new place, learning things. First six and a half years of marriage, didn't have a kid, so it was a lot different than, you know, all our previous anniversaries, we go on a little trip, do a little something. Uh-huh. This time we are like, got to drop off the kid for three hours, go get a little food, keep it moving. Yeah. So I'm just learning to roll with the punches. That life has a lot of ups and downs, burdens and joys. Take them all as they come. Mm. That's real talk. That's real. And, you know, we don't actually talk that much about, like, personal life and relationships or whatnot in here, but maybe we need to start uh, dropping some knowledge on the on the pod. Because, I mean, look, seven years ain't, ain't a short time to be True. married, right? I've been married. I just hit 11 years, which I don't even feel old enough to be able to say that, but that's, that's real. Oh, like, I've been married 11 years, which is a wild statement. Like, every time I say it, I'm like, I've really been married 11 years. Yes, I've been married 11 years. No, nah, man, you know, life is, life is real. We've learned some things, both both of us, you know, being married, having kids and all of that. So maybe we'll start bringing some of that in. But I did just want to give you a little bit of time to drop that knowledge on us, Will, because, you know, um, we're pro-marriage here on Kingdom Dreamers. Um, so, you know, if you didn't know, we are pro-marriage. We're all about uh, man and wife coming together as one and all that good stuff. So anyways, about ready to move Sorry. on. We we're going to have Relationship Corner is going to be a new segment, huh? Yeah, hey, there you go. And we're going to try to stay married because we'll probably say some wild stuff. Um, and our wives do kind of listen to the show. so. <laughs> but we'll be real. We'll keep it real. All right? You know, like, piece of advice, number one, never never listen to what your wife says when you come here. Do whatever you want. <laughs> fair, no. fair. Fair, fair. Look, Gun is part of the show, Will. That's you can dog, not- man. Well, listen, so you hear them barking, right? But they've been, it's been Juneteenth here all week, man. So Muggs' fireworks have been going off consistently. So my dog is in constant barking. Man. I'm hey, all for it. As you, can, you, can hear you know, hey, look, I know this isn't even part of our show, our show notes, but I do want to say this. The Juneteenth thing is very interesting. Like, I know we're, we're, we're going to get into our lineup that we already have <laughs> right now here. But the Juneteenth thing has tripped me out because, look, I've heard a lot of conversations about Juneteenth. Like, basically, 70% of white Americans have been like, I have no idea what that is, right? And a good, like, 45% of black Americans are like, I really don't know what that is. Maybe I've heard of it, but I, I actually don't really know what Juneteenth is, right? I've seen people that grew up in in majority black areas of, like, I have no idea we didn't do it. So Juneteenth wasn't something that's widely celebrated, which was a trick for me. Because growing up, I always knew about Juneteenth. Not because I'm special, but because in Minneapolis, Juneteenth every year is like the biggest thing popping in the summer. At least it used to be. To my, what I've been told is over the last few years, you know, I don't live there now. Um, things have kind of shrunk. You know, it's kind of taken a downturn for various reasons or whatever. But Juneteenth used to be popping. It used to be the thing to do. You had to go to Juneteenth. There, there was not only like food and booths and um, all sorts of stuff. There were drill team uh, competitions and parades and all, like, Juneteenth was the thing, right? And so it tripped me out that so many people didn't know what it is. And now every company in America is, give, like, my, my wife's company, I ain't going to put their name out there, but 
just announced like on this the past Monday that hey yeah you're gonna get Juneteenth off as a paid holiday everybody you know <laughs> like, okay. okay like after all these years of black folks about like not going to work on Martin Luther King's birthday or MLK Day and take it as a black holiday like Juneteenth is now becoming that thing and it's weird you know I've been hearing about fireworks going off and all that it's not really a, when you think about it it's not necessarily a celebratory thing I don't know it's kind of somber it's kind of sad. Or the, the fact that there had that there was a Juneteenth, but it's also kind of celebratory, right? So no, I, don't, yeah. I think people don't really know how to celebrate it. And even with Juneteenth being a thing for me growing up, it wasn't a thing you did personally. It wasn't like in my house we celebrated Juneteenth. It was a thing. It was it was like the taste of Chicago or the taste of whatever city you have at a state fair. It's something you went to and attended, but you know, you don't sit at home and say, man, it's, you know, it's taste of Chicago day in my family. This is how we celebrate that. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't that sort of thing. So I don't know. Uh, I just find that whole thing interesting. I don't really have a take on it. Um, but Hey, the more paid days off we get, the better. Um, hey. That's Quite right. frankly, they're probably just gonna like swap that for Columbus Day or something when it comes when it comes to schools. So, um, Wait, you got one. Columbus Day off? I think some schools get to, uh, get Columbus Day. Don't uh, they? This, maybe I don't remember ever. That I might, might be, be making it up. Or President's Day. Columbus Day is not what we've been trying to move it to Indigenous Peoples Day for a long time. So yeah. Um. So we'll take both of those days off. You know. Yo, but speaking of that, I know this is also not in our notes. We're on our mini, our mini beginning rant, but look at, there's a, a, what is it called? A campaign or a, I don't know. They're trying to get petitions on this side to get Columbus, Ohio, changed to Flavortown, Ohio. Because <laughs> it's named after Christopher Columbus. I, was, I never thought about that with Columbus, Ohio. I love Columbus, Ohio. Hey, I'm, Ohio State. <laughs> hey, I, I feel like we we should do that. It's not even so much because of the anti Christopher Columbus, but more so the pro Guy Fieri um, <laughs> argument that exactly. um, that I'm with. You know, because look, I, I can't front Dino's drive-ins and dies. Has been, you know, that's been with me for many years of my life, and I feel like that deserves a city name if nothing else. But I mean, on top of that, Rhode Island is trying to change its name because. A fact that I literally did not know until like yesterday or this morning, whenever it was, is that the official state name of Rhode Island is the state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. I, really? I had yes, really, I had no idea. So now there's a movement to remove the that last part, or at least the plantation part, off of the official name. I, I didn't know that. I, yeah, I never knew that. That that sounded like you know alternate history or something, but it's real. That's the official state name. What name? Yeah, so you learn something new every day. So, anyways, look, let's get back to our actual uh, <laughs> show notes and, and show plan. So, you know, we like to hit y'all uh, every week if we can with a little something that's been uh, a little nuts throughout the week with the It's Crazy Out Here segment. Um, so, we are going to hit y'all with that. Uh, hit the drop wheel. Man, crazy out here, man. What's crazy out here today, this week? Basically, everything that's been going on with NASCAR. And the Confederate flag um, and everything that kind of comes along with that. So just like a brief seven second recap, NASCAR banned the Confederate flag like last week. Uh, NASCAR's only black driver, Bubba Wallace. Yes. Brother, well, there are plenty of brothers. Named Bubba, but the only black driver, Bubba Wallace, uh, essentially then said he's going to drive this uh, Black Lives Matter car. Um, and this was a dude that was not previously like, you know, hashtag woke necessarily. <laughs> so he kind of, he kind of came on board. Um, 
and there was there was a lot of talk with that, uh, you know, around NASCAR about we're not going to put up with the racism and all that stuff anymore. Uh, so they banned the Confederate flags before their race uh, the other day. Basically, a bunch of fans drove around the the outside of the stadium and track waving Confederate flags. There was a flyover uh, in a in a jet, and I can't even remember what the message said, but it said something about I think it said defund NASCAR or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there was supposedly a noose found uh, in the stall of Bubba Wallace, the car stall. Uh, somebody supposedly found it. Uh, NASCAR then released a statement, basically a strong statement, condemning racism and all of that sort of thing um, and saying that this was a terrible tragedy. Then NASCAR and the FBI investigated, and their discovery was that actually this noose-like thing had been there for quite a while, and it supposedly it was something – it was a handle to pull down the garage. And so they were saying, okay, it wasn't a hate crime. So that is what's been going on with NASCAR. And on top of that, as all of that's going on, not NASCAR and other places are banning the Confederate flag and also trying to do things like pull statues down and all sorts of things. So, Will, like, I don't even really know where to begin here because it's kind of a twofold that's crazy out here. Where are we on all this, man? Like, like the Confederate flag, um, the statues, the names being changed, all of that. Where are we? I know that's a bad interview question, but I'm not interviewing. Um, Gunner's going to answer. But where are we on all that? Man, so that's a good question. I mean, it's cool that NASCAR banned the Confederate flag. It was actually quite surprising to me uh, just because the nature of the sport is really catered to uh, very white America. Hence, there only being one black driver. Uh, in NASCAR currently so I'm all for it I don't know whether it's publicity uh, trying to keep money because they know if they didn't they might lose sponsorship NASCAR's built on sponsorship right the cars are have their little ads on it like like a random billboard or whatever so right. uh, I don't know if it's actually good conscience or if it's money but I don't I don't know if that matters right mm-hmm. um, the fact is that our country has had this kind of Confederate flag heritage, not hate or whatever movement for quite a while. And it's not being exposed for the reality it is, right? Mm. Uh, Especially the Confederate statues, right? So people, it's crazy to me that you could say that taking down a Confederate statue is erasing history, right? Mm. History is very well known. And again, history is for museums. But it's also crazy because these Confederate statues, almost all of them were not built right after the Civil War or during the Civil War. They're all Mm. built in the last century, right? Mm. So that tells you what they're about, right? There's two spikes of building statues. One was in the late 19th, early 20th century when all the Jim Crow laws were being written. That Mm. tells you why they're built to keep white supremacy up. And then again in the 50s and 60s, building Confederate statues, Mm. right? So does that make any sense at all? No, and, and statues are not history, right? I mean, That's they true. are there to, I guess, on some level commemorate history. But unless we're talking about the great works of art, you know, or the things that are national monuments like the Lincoln Memorial, or <laughs> for the most yeah. part, the, it's not history. It's somebody in some town, you know, or city decided that they wanted to build a statue. They voted on it, said, okay, let's do it. And then they did it, you know. Like, so removing the stats, uh, someone's statue is not erasing history in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I went to DePaul University. When you walk into the uh, into the student center, there's a big, uh, big statue of I don't even remember his name, 
whatever the guy DePaul is, <laughs> who the school is named after or who founded the school or whatever. And we all joked about it because his hands are so big. So it's a goofy looking statue, right? But if they move that down, that's not the, erasing the history of the school, right? The school is still the school. It's literally just a statue, right? So that's nonsense. And it's a nonsensical argument, and it always has been. Um, well, see, and that's what's different with the Confederate statues. On top of that, it's clear and has been clear throughout history if we're actually going to examine history of why these statues were put up and why the Confederate flag is still flown, right? right. To uphold white supremacy. There's no other reason to do it. Why would you build Confederate statues in 1950 and 1960? What's yeah. going on at the same time? The civil rights movement, not the civil war. Right. Right. Like you're so far removed from history. You can try and disguise it all you want, but it's very clear why these are up and why they need to be torn down. Very much so. And you, know, and, you know, it's funny. This is such a uniquely American thing. And, I mean, I feel like I shouldn't even, but I will briefly point out the hypocrisy of, you know, generally these are the same people that talk about patriotism when we talk about Colin Kaepernick take, taking the knee and all this stuff. And they are also dedicated wholly to the flag of a nation that tried to overthrow the United States, <laughs> you know, and then that was defeated and that has not existed since, right? Um, and and then building statues to people that try to overthrow the company, the country that they are so patriotic towards. And now I don't know all of world history for everywhere, but I imagine that in most other countries, that is not necessarily the case. You know, if you try to overthrow the, 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 the country that you're in, they're probably not building statues and monuments to you. So the thing that makes it unique is this whole supremacy racial element of it right it, it is very much so uh a statement which is why i mean quite frankly nascar has been one of the things in this country one of the i guess um whether you call it pop culture or sport or whatever one of the things that has always definitely felt hostile if not outwardly hostile but definitely non-inviting to minorities and to black people like i would never go to a nascar race <laughs> like you couldn't like you couldn't really get me there now maybe maybe something up north or whatever but you said hey do you want to go to talladega i said no way i don't want to go to Talladega. like there's no way i would not feel like that's a place i i would feel comfortable in and i and that's very intentional you know that's very purposeful Na people that love nascar to my knowledge are, are very fierce and tribal in that and it's very much so we don't need y'all and y'all is anybody that doesn't get it. And specifically black people. Like I saw somebody make the statement, or heard somebody make the statement that NASCAR's base is, you know, the south, uh, you know, southern part of the U.S. Right. And for years, you know, they just put this Confederate flag ban in. Right. We know what the Confederate flag means. We know that it makes people of color, specifically black people, uncomfortable. No, there's basically a sign that says you're not welcome here. Right. Um, argue with that if you want, but that's what it is. Um, and for years, something that is based in the South was where you have states that are, you know, 20, 30, 30% black has said, yeah, we're here in the South. We know a, 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 a fourth to a third of our population is black and will therefore not be comfortable being here. And therefore, they will not be fans of ours, essentially. But we're good anyway. We don't need them. We're going to stick to our base and we will actively throw out 30% of the potential uh, of our potential fan base, right? Every other sport is actively trying to bring everybody in, you know, like they're act actively trying to expand their fan base. They're trying to include, uh, you know, like we saw the NFL uh, that came out with the whole line of women's clothing and stuff. Like they're trying to include women. You see baseball is trying to, 
figure out how they can get more fans in or whatever. NASCAR's always been like, nah, we're good. <laughs> like, we'll stick, we'll stick with what we got. We don't need y'all. We don't want y'all, right? So this is kind of a big deal, not because – you know, a bunch of black folks all started start loving NASCAR. But it's a big deal in the sense that, hey, you know, we're we're finally going to start including some measure of inclusivity um, in what we do. And again, that that that's by banning the flag, or right. by banning that Confederate flag and saying, okay, uh, come on in. And that what well, that brings me to another, you know, kind of point or question that we've seen when it comes to uh, these movements to ban uh, not only the Confederate flag, but as you mentioned, uh, to take down monuments and statues and uh, rename schools and things that are named after um, these people that have very obvious uh, racism <laughs> in their past, right? Which is, is it something that actually matters? Hmm. And why or why not? Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to throw that to you first. That's a good question, because I guess it depends on what level because i think at the basic level it does matter right um i mean to driver like there's many cities in the south that have roads named after confederate generals so uh, as a person of color you're literally driving on roads of people who wanted you enslaved like these names they say something right and they there's a reason they put up statues confederate statues in the 20th century because they want to uphold white supremacy right so it's important that these things including names of things are brought to question and brought down right Mm -hmm. because they create a false i don't know they're a false narrative that continues to push forth uh particularly racism in this case right Mm -hmm. Um, but i think there is valid point that these things can be distractions to bringing about actual change but i think they're a start and i think we have to start we have to start somewhere, right? So I guess it's too much to be like, yeah, it's a distraction, so forget about it. Like, why don't we just take it all at the same time? You know what I mean? Right. Like, what's, right. what's the reason that we need to say that one is a distraction towards ultimate change? Certainly, you shouldn't stop at taking on statues, but uh, it's definitely something that needs to be done. Right. No, I agree with you. And, and yeah, I mean, there there is – that school of thought that it's essentially like you're at a negotiating table, right? Where, okay, well, you know, your opponent or the person you're negotiating against, you know, maybe they'll give, give into a bunch of your minor concessions, but be a stickler on the thing that really matters. And I'll say, well, look, I gave into these 20 other points, you know, you have to give me something too. And so you've been so busy asking for the small things, you know, like changes to your uniform <laughs> that when you get to the points that actually matter, you know, maybe you've kind of used up all your bullets there. Um, however, I, I do think it matters. Um, you know, we talk about a lot of the issues of race in this country and a lot of issues, you know, um, last week's episode, I talked with uh, Rick Williams of Jumping Through Hoops podcast, and we talked about different things, you know, involving the black community and, um, you know, kind of element of you know, personal responsibility versus um, systemic racism and all, all those sorts of things, right? And when we talk about the the issues that face specifically the black community in this country in the criminal justice and all that, there's this element of like collective pain and trauma that we've dealt with. Right. And part of that trauma is our country is so racist and has been so racist that 
for decades and centuries, we have looked black kids in the eye and said, we're giving you a fair shot at education as we put you in this school that's named after, say, Robert E. Lee or a person who, if you were alive during their time, would just as soon hang you or whip you as they would shake your hand, right? We're literally going to tell you to be educated in a school named after someone who hated you and didn't see you as a human being, right? And tell you that you're getting a fair shake, right? You are literally growing up in the shadows of city halls or public parks that have statues dedicated to people that hated you and didn't see you as a human being. And then we're telling you, just deal with it. Oh, this, that's our, that's our history. And our history matters more than your humanity, right? Mm. Our history and and us, us wanting to commemorate these people who the only reason we know them, the only reason they are a historical figure is for, you know, in the face of these Confederate generals or soldiers is for being a part of the Confederacy. And and we know everything that comes along with it. Or even, and I know this is slightly more controversial, we even have these, you know, kind of older founding fathers and things of that nature who maybe they weren't part of the Confederacy, maybe, you know, whether they were alive during that time or not, they might even be Civil War or uh, Northern um, generals and soldiers and things of that nature. But if we look into their past, we know that they were either slave owners or they held decidedly racist views. Not everybody, obviously, but some people, right? Um and so we say, okay, so what do we do with that, right? You know, when we, when we have former presidents that were slave owners, what do we do with that, you know? And, and I think that's a valid question. I mean, I don't have all the answers. I, me personally, I'm be honest, I have no desire to commemorate or honor somebody who, again, if I was alive during their time, would have just as soon whipped me and put me in chains as they would have spoke to me or, you know, treated me as a human being, right? Yeah. So whether it's George Washington or whoever, I certainly understand the historical importance, but I understand the historical importance of a myriad of people that did damage, of Stalin, of Genghis, uh, Genghis Khan, of all sorts of people who were responsible for the deaths of many, right? Yeah, and yeah. we can recognize their historical importance without deifying them or even, quote unquote, honoring them. And I know in America, that's basically a sacrilegious statement to make, right? Like if I said, hey, we shouldn't honor George Washington, uh, you know, according to some people, I'm basically slapping America in the face, right? But just because he's our first president does not mean he was somebody that we need to honor and admire and even respect. Like, why should I respect somebody who wanted me to be a slave? Yeah. Why should I respect somebody who enslaved my ancestors? You know, and I think whiteness is so ingrained in everything in the society. People can't even hear that. Like that's that's a wild that to them that's a wild statement, right? It like mm-hmm. it makes absolutely no sense. What? Well, but he's George Washington. Okay, if George Washington, if your last name is, you know, Johannesburg, I'm what I say. That's that's a city. <laughs> if your last name is McGinnis and George Washington said all McGinnis should be, you know, uh, should be enslaved and they're they're, they're two thirds human and all you know all of these sorts of things, would you be a George Washington fan? You know, so anyways, I know I'm kind of going on a little bit of a tangent here, but you know, again, when it comes to these these names and these statues, I say I say take them all down. I say take tear the statues down, change the names of all these schools. You know, and and I think it's very valid to do so because if we're going to name a school or a building or a library after somebody, we are commemorating that person and honoring that person, and we didn't have to do that. You don't have to name these things after people. 
So it was a deliberate choice. And if those people, even based on the morals of the time, whatever, that those people are no longer worthy of being commemorated based on our current worldview, then that's fine. You can change the name of, of, a, of, a, of a school. There's plenty of schools named after towns. Like, I grew up in Minneapolis. Guess what? We had a South High. We had a North High. We had a Southwest High. <laughs> you know, so you could name schools after directions. There used to be a Central High. So you don't have to name a school after Robert E. Lee or whoever else, you know? So, yeah, I, I don't think it's as controversial as you make it seem. So that's where, I, that's where I stand on it. Be mad. <laughs> no, no, one, you're right. Because the thing is, America's idols are just being exposed, right? Mm-hmm. Not just in the Confederacy, but in general, like. Our idols have been exposed, and it's time to deal with that, right? Justice is not this negotiating table, right? It's not like we need to, like, certainly it can feel like a negotiating table in a country that racism is patriotic, right? It's that ingrained in us. Um, So it can feel like a negotiating table, but the fact is justice is not a negotiating table, right? It's either injustice or justice, right? right? So... Uh, I don't think there's a need to worry about this being distracting to other stuff. Right. I'm with and and this and it's not just about, you know, anti black racism too, you know. We we still need to change the name of the Washington Redskins. It makes no sense that that still exists. It makes absolutely no sense. Uh that should not be. Even the Cleveland Indians. Like I and I know there's I, I know with some of these there's even different um opinions within the native community, you know, so I I don't want to usurp um, their voices in that situation. But I just think it's ridiculous that we're naming um, teams after disenfranchised people groups. Um, we have, you know, and, it's, and there's people that are honored here that not just, you know, did things, you know, against black folks, but also Asians and Hispanics. And it, like, we just shouldn't be honoring people who were inhumane to other people, <laughs> to other groups of people, put it that way. I think that's pretty simple i think that's pretty straightforward so pretty simple pretty simple yeah hey with that let's turn to something else because they should know that we're going to take down confederate statues but let's go to a little uh a small theology corner small theology corner the time has come for america to hear the truth we haven't done theology corner in a while but there's something that's been irking me been bugging me in this season of uh, Black Lives Matter protests and all these things is all the uh, proclaiming Christians that come to me using critical race theory as a, I don't know, bait word for why we should be weary of the justice movement with Black Lives Matter. But Will, what is critical race theory? Good question. None of the people who come and use it know. That's the problem. (laughs) It's I mean, this is the thing, right? Christian or the Christian worldview is not against critical race theory. Now, let me explain what critical race theory is in the most general sense, because it's hard to pinpoint because it's not it's not something to be against. Right. Critical race theory just says basically that race, as we know it in America, is a construct. Right. Mm -hmm. There's it is not God ordained or created that I'm white. Well, it is God ordained that I have lighter skin and killing us darker skin, but this whole construct of white and black as we know it in America is not some God-ordained thing, right? It's created to keep certain people disenfranchised and certain people in power, right? Right. That's at the most basic level what critical race theory is saying, right? Mm -hmm. So 
that's not anti-Christian. That's actually just an honest evaluation, in my opinion, of particularly American history, Mm -hmm. right? Now, there's a whole host of things that could come with that, uh, and it's being criticized in the sociological field as being built on narrative and storytelling instead of empirical data. But as we've continued to get empirical data on the way systems perpetuate racism, it's becoming clear that this is, in fact, the way it is, right? That mm-hmm. um, Because as we, you think about it on the most basic level, right? What's different here, well, the most basic level is you say I'm white in America, mm-hmm. but that literally means nothing, right? It means something in terms of the way the social construct works, but white is not my ethnicity or my nationality, right? I'm, I don't know, British and Irish and these type of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you just say I'm white because of the color of my skin, right? right. And, and what's different, right? Kellen, you're black in America, but what's completely different there is because of the way the black identity has been formed in America under oppression, there's actually a legitimate identity behind black America, mm-hmm. right? Because there's, but still at the end of the day, black is not your nationality or really your ethnicity, right? right? Despite not, usually not being able to trace those back, right, to any African countries and things like that because of the way that the slave trade worked. Mm -hmm. So critical race theory, just at its most basic sense, is saying that's the reality, that this Mm -hmm. is not a God ordained. So to say that that's anti-Christian means that you assume in whatever your quote Christian worldview is that God ordains these power structures as such, white and black. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're breaking that down a little bit. So so let me ask you this. So is this kind of in line with what I hear quite often, which is uh, the idea that, hey, you know, kind of race isn't – and so I'm learning about critical race theory, right? People say, yeah, this race thing, you know, shouldn't really matter. we're only talking about it because they're telling us to, because that's how they've made it. And ultimately, you know, we're all one race. We should all be children of God. So we really shouldn't even be focusing so much on race. We should be focusing on hearts and yep. <laughs> and that sort of thing. Is that kind of lined up with, with, with that kind of attitude or ideology that I'm seeing a lot yeah. lately? Yeah. It all fits in the same narrative because what it mm-hmm. refuses to do is it refuses to look at systems and structures in the world and power structures in particular and say that they have a, a sinful nature in them, that they perpetuate racism. It refuses to look that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Because to the white American Christian sin is, Oh, I personally lied. I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't personally say something racist or think racist. Therefore I'm not sinful. Right. right. It's this very individualistic level and refuse to see systems. But critical race theory says, no, this whole thing is a system built this way, which is part of the reason why power structures have to be changed and even torn down potentially. And that, that's kind of wild to me because I feel like everybody can acknowledge when there are, when there are some obvious systems of racism and racial discrimination outside of the U S right. When you give a name to it, you know, everybody, in, you know, everybody in the world can see that apartheid was a racist system. Right. Yeah. That's yep. very obvious. Very easy. So we know that systems of racism exist. Right. Um, we all know about, you know, the Holocaust and the laws and rules and regulations that came before that. 
in German-occupied countries, right? We know about slavery and also all different too. Even as Christians, we know about the slavery and the oppression that Jewish people faced, right? We know about the oppression that Christians faced in early Christendom. Um, you know, I, I know that on some level, I believe there, there are some scholars saying that some of that is a bit overblown in terms of how how pers- just how persecuted Christians were in Rome. But we also, but we know that there was some of that that existed, right? So it seems like people are simply refusing to think critically on these things because it's like, okay, well, you know, if we can point to a system that had a name, (laughs) you know, then we can speak on it. Like we can, we can point to Jim Crow where there were literal laws on the books that were in black and white saying black people can't do this. White people can do this. And we can say, okay, well that, yeah, that was a system of racism. Right. But as soon as we take it out of black and white kindergarten terms, now all of a sudden that, you know, it can't exist. It can't exist here in America. Um, I, I don't get where that kind of cognitive dissonance comes where people just can't seem to see something that they already know exists, which is why I'm forced to then believe that it's either will for ignorance or it simply doesn't align with the worldview that you already have. So you yeah. can't admit to its existence. Yeah. And well, that's been the biggest problem with what's happening right now in conversations, particularly in Christian circles is critical race theory is being used as just a bait word to dissuade Christians from being involved in a global justice movement right now, Mm -hmm. right? That's really what it's been used for because it's okay. uh, Like I'm not saying every single person in the critical race theory of sociology is right in everything they say, but the general principle is not anti-Christian, right? Right. And it doesn't, it's simply not in its general sense, anti-Christian. It's just be using as a bait word. But here's the other thing that's being used all the time. And I only know this because, yeah, well, I just recently had an email about this and it doesn't make any sense to me. This this is what they do (laughs) passes with men. So the other thing that I think is being connected right now with, uh, quote, Christian critiques of the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Um, If you're ignoring, people always critique the organization, but the organization doesn't have much connection to. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah, that's one thing I keep getting to, but that's a whole nother thing. And we've critiqued on this podcast the actual organization that doesn't have any connection to a true statement that is being used to declare the image of God in protest, right? right? But what is also coming along with this is this idea that um, something we'll talk about here in a bit. We're keeping that in. <laughs> it's just crazy, man. These fireworks keep going and he just keep going crazy. But... Um, mm, Something that is tied to the Black Lives Matter movement often is things like like what we're going to talk about later, defund the police and these type of attacks on power structures often are, and then them being in the Trump administration tying those to the extreme left in any way, which is, quote, socialist and communist and whatever they want to say, right? Right. Um, But is this idea that capitalism is somehow Christian, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just not true. All these economic systems are human created, not God ordained. Mm-hmm. And that means that they're open for critique, right? Mm-hmm. All of them. They're all open for critique. They all can be, um, you know, we all can come at them without that being some anti-Christian thing. Now, maybe capitalism has the best opportunity for city welfare and 
you know, all yeah, those. You might things. believe in it in a, as a system. You might, you know, be in agreement with some elements of it, but yeah, it is not our salvation is not based on being a capitalistic nation, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. um, and that's where it comes down to the, are you more American or are you more Christian? Um, exactly. And, and you mentioned, I mean, we're going to move on to the next topic here in a second, but I, I do just want to throw out there in this, this whole thing I've been seeing recently, uh, where people have been making a point to come at the black lives matter organization. All I got to say on that is, Duh. Like, I mean, you're late. And, and that's why it's a bad faith argument. The Black Lives Matter organization popped up a couple years ago after the hashtag had gone, uh, had, had uh, kind of taken hold. And so I'm seeing these articles, well, and I'm seeing people comment like, well, if you read what the Black Lives Matter organization, this is what they, what they stand for, you know, then as a Christian, how could you really, and all this nonsense. Like, this tells me that you're arguing in bad faith. Why? Because these were conversations that were had years ago when the Black Lives Matter organization popped up. And many Christian leaders and Christian folks, including you and I, Will, talked about Black Lives Matter as the organization. And we said things that we had an issue with and why we did not, we're not standing in support necessarily or solidarity with the organization, but we were in agreement with the phrase Black Lives Matter. And we even discussed why, you know, why or why not that was a great a good phrase or what was problematic about it all, all those sorts of things right but, but the conclusion that was came to years ago was that the statement is true the statement is being said because of the issues that uh we're facing especially when it comes to particularly when it comes to police violence against black people and that's what we are here for that's what people are proclaiming and now in this recent movement as people have been yelling black lives matter it hasn't been black lives matter.org or black lives matter call 773 you know like people have not been promoting the organization people have been staying the statement as a show of solidarity right? It has not been about the organization. And so it's a bad faith argument. So if somebody tries to tell you, you know, if you are newly woke or whatever, they're trying to talk to you about the organization, don't worry about the organization. Most of these protests and, 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 organiz- and uh, rallies that are being put on are not being put on by the Black Lives Matter organization, which even at its height was a basically a loose coalition of local yeah. organizers. And the people that started the organization, you know, there was some funding and things like that that they got so there was some fundraising that they did but the organization was never like the NAACP or anything right? Right. it never had any real clout on its own like Black Lives Matter was a statement it was a hashtag that people latched onto. um yes it was started intentionally but people latched onto it and so you could say Black Lives Matter without being in support of the organization Black Lives Matter right, right. like it is very possible i'm trying to think of a good example <laughs> well i mean that's what's unique about it. that's the beauty of the the social media moment we live in is that a hashtag can turn into a movement without any centralized leadership or organization leading that right. per se right so you know it's easy to distinguish from it because we haven't even seen the organization leading anything really in these global protests so is right. what it is is what it is and so we're gonna we're gonna move on here but before we move on i do just want to remind 
all of our wild, wild world listeners, whether you're listening now in 2020, uh, the year that can end, cannot end soon enough, or maybe you're a 2024 listener checking back in on our old archives. We appreciate y'all 2024 listeners. Um, but I do want to remind y'all about Stitcher Premium. Um, Stitcher Premium is a premium subscription to Stitcher that includes bonus episodes and Exclusive shows from hit podcast hosts gives you early access to popular podcasts as well as ad free shows. So there's comedy shows like Comedy Bang Bang and How Did This Get Made, one of my personal favorites. There's true crime shows like Criminology or My Favorite Murder or even Marvel's Wolverine. And then there's even pop culture stuff like Curious with Jonathan Van Ness or LeVar Burton Reads. Uh, So you can check out Stitcher Premium. Uh, Typically, it costs $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. But you can get it for free for 30 days if you use the premium code WILDWORLD. Not two wilds, just one wild. Wild world. Pop that in and you get Stitcher Premium free for 30 days so you can check that out. Uh, So please go ahead and do that. Uh, Tell them Kellen and Will sent you. All right. So. And I think I want to talk this morning. Real talk, Will. Real talk. Defund the police. A lot, of, a lot of talk about defunding the police. I've been having a lot of conversations about defunding police, what that means, what that looks like. Um, Will, what does defund the police mean to you? Man, what does it mean to me? That's a, that's an interesting way to phrase the question. I, you know, you know that might have been a bad lead-in. Like I might have been doing a bad job as a co- uh, podcast co-host. <laughs> well, but that it does key on something, right? It yeah. keys on that this statement is confusing, even if it has truth to it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very confusing statement because there's this massive spectrum of what people mean when they say defund the police, even though it's being used really throughout protests all over. Uh, the United States in particular, right? But it seems to be different city by city. Because some know, people... You're going to lead into that. But this is, a, this is a real-time example of what you just said about the ha- uh, the hashtag, right? Yeah. Like, this is a real-time, real we're watching it now happen. People got, you know, this defund the police thing was not like some underground movement that was already really, truly in existence. And now we're just you know, sharing it with the world. This is something that kind of came, it's come up throughout all these protests. People have begun, begun saying defund the police, uh, change the police and all that. And now we're kind of in real time trying to figure out what that means and what that looks like, right? So go ahead, go ahead. No, and that's exactly it, right? Is that it's not, there's been talk of defunding the police before, but never at a mass scale like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is you could go to different leaders who say defund the police, different people protest, different cities. And it's different every time. It goes all the way from simply changing the city budget a little bit to mm-hmm. completely abolishing police forces. You get that whole spectrum out there under the same idea of defund the police. Right. So there's a whole lot to discuss around it of what what does it actually mean or what can it mean, what should it mean, and what do we think about all those options? Because I don't know if anybody has solid answers. Right, because we'll figure it out. I, I can tell you this. What it most definitely probably does not mean, and I'm sure there are very few people actually promoting this, it doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, remove law and order, <laughs> you know, from society. Right, defund the police does not mean, you know what, hey, anarchy out here. Or it doesn't mean, you know what, hey, let's just trust everybody to be law-abiding citizens, right? So I, I keep seeing people, po- you know, say nonsense with stuff like, oh, well, you know, 
let that let the animals eat each other, you know, and what you know, what are they gonna do when the, the police aren't there to save them? Da, 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 right? Defund the police is not saying we want the purge, right? Nobody, <laughs> nobody's saying that. What it does mean, or not what it does mean, but one element that, that I've thought about is we need to, and this is a perfect time to do so, we need to open our eyes and realize that things do not have to be the the, the way they've been, right? The policing in America has been what it is and for some for for myriad reasons right on some level because white america is kind of taught to love the police because the police are here for our benefit and our protection minorities are kind of taught are i've been taught to fear the police because the police are here to keep us in line right policing does not have to be what it's been policing as it as it exists in, in america is not necessarily how it is in most other parts of the world i mean the entire criminal justice system uh you know, in America, we we imprison way way more people <laughs> than other industrialized nations. Look, I saw a stat that I think it was in 1950 or 60. This is 50 or 60 years ago, something like that. Where there are 300,000 people in, uh, in prison in America, and now that number is like around two million or something like that. You could check my numbers at the end. I might be wrong, right? But it's a ridiculous number, right? And so the entire system, we have lived in it so long and it's been so ingrained in American society that we kind of act like, well, this is what it has to be. And this is not what it has to be. We can rethink what policing means. We can rethink what enforcing the law means. We do not have to be here present in... My apologies. Now I'm getting distracted, Will, because there's kids out on my street staring at me <laughs> as I'm sitting by the window. Um, but things do not have to be the way that they've been. They don't have to go the way that they've gone. We can rethink this, and we don't even necessarily have to have police. So we're going to talk about some of the things that have been out there. So um, so what, what are some, some of the ideas, I guess, that you've seen floated out there? Uh, and we could talk about it, because I got some ideas of my own that I think might be beneficial. Yeah. You do need to show your ideas. Cause, well, so the most basic level that I think most people who are saying defund the police can agree upon is the need to shift the way city budgets work, right? Uh-huh. Because it's just simply a city budget, right? You take some of this pot of money, you give it to the police, you give some to different social programs, you give some to housing, education, right? Money go- is in a big pot and it goes other places. That's the most basic sense, right? So... To defund the police means to take the massive police budgets in these cities and take some of that money away and put it towards other things like education, housing, other social programs, um, social workers, those type of things to actually help the community. Because in most models right now in America, the police are expected to do ridiculous amounts of things that they really can't do or are not trained for and usually end up with you know, arresting mentally ill people or killing people, force, all these type of things, simply because of that. And part of that is people think, oh, you take, now we're going to have like two cops running around. The fact is that even in America, police budgets weren't the way they are today, right? Most of this stuff, especially the militarizing of police, happened during the war on drugs, particularly under the three strikes and all the crazy stuff that happened under the Clinton administration, right? The so, war on drugs was created out of uh, out of essentially thin air. <laughs> exactly, right? So, which we all know ends up being war on the poor and war on black people in general. And that's how mass incarceration started, all those things. That's a longer conversation. But the police force being militarized as it is to have riot gear and tanks and tear gas and all that stuff, 
that's it hasn't been like we haven't had that all of history that's very recent history to pour that type of funding into a police force and once you make a police force a military unit mm-hmm. then they have to fight the enemy and the enemy becomes the people right? right and that's the big problem so at the most basic level when you say defund the police we're talking about shifting the way these budgets work because they don't make sense right now right and, and ideally when you do that we end up with crime prevention right with our criminal justice system basically what we've invested in as a nation is locking up criminals right putting criminals in the system right if you take if you shift some of that money around theoretically you then prevent more crime from happening because you improve the lives of the citizens within a community right you, you increase education, after-school program, uh, mental health, so all, all these sorts of things that, lead, that end up leading to crime on the back, right? And so you're, we're having less crime, so there's less work for the cops to do. But, you know, well, this is even interesting because we're even starting right now from the city level, right? Who says that policing has to be funded and dictated on a city-by-city, state-by-state basis, right? Now, the, we can discuss it. I mean, we can federalize police. You can make police uh, a, a state thing. Like even the, uh, even the idea that well, policing is city by city, town by town, county by county, is something that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, right? Mm-hmm. And so, is it better if all police had federal regulation? You know, if they were all if they all had the same standardized training and things like things of that nature, right? So we talk about defund and just rethinking this whole way we police. Again, I think we need to get out of our traditions in terms of how it's always been and look at what would actually be the best, would be the best solution. And now federalizing things isn't necessarily always the, you know, the best plan, but I think it's worth looking at. Would policing be better if it were either federalized or standardized on some level? Um, yeah. And I think there's definitely questions we have to ask, right? Because that's what makes it so complex is you literally have to fight for different reform in every single city. And it all works differently, right? So we could do it on a federal level. Yeah. Well, and and to another point you mentioned, you know, you said police have to do things that they're not necessarily equipped. Here's my question. How many people that are listening know a nurse? You probably do. There's a lot of nurses out there. Or a teacher, right? Right. Teachers don't teach every subject. There are nurses for different things, right? There are nurses that work in ICU. There are nurses that work in the burn unit. There are nurses that are nurse anesthetists. There are nurses that are specifically uh, uh, that work in surgery. Like there are nurses for different things. There are teachers for different things. Why is it that we go through that, you know, that we take cops and give them all the same equipment put them all in the same cars and have them all responding to the myriad of different things that go on within a city or, a, you know, an area. Why now get it different. You know, if we have small towns and things, sometimes it's different, but in these cities, why is the same cop that responds to, I don't know, a call of gunfire, the same one that is pulling me over for going seven miles over the speed limit, you know, or having to bust the taillight or being called to deal with somebody because, there's some sort of mental health issue. Like, why is the same cop coming for that and equipped the exact same way, yep. right? Why does that? Why does the cop need a gun for you know the the, the traffic stop and also for getting the kitten out of the <laughs> out of the tree and also for responding to a domestic violence call, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
why can't we, we don't, I'm not talking about having to be fully specialized, but when I ask these questions, nobody can really give me a, a good answer, right? Maybe it's funding or whatever, but the, the, I read a stat that 95% of, I believe it was arrests that are made mm-hmm. are for nonviolent crimes. But 100% of those arrests, we got cops with vests, guns, <laughs> pepper spray, tasers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, why, why, if the vast majority of arrests are for nonviolent crimes, why then are we approaching those with lethal weapons, right? Yep. Yep. And, again, in other countries, that is not the case. In England, cops don't carry guns, at least not on a regular basis. Right, so it's not like it can't be done. You don't need a weapon to do ninety nine point nine percent of the, the the job as being a cop, you yeah. know. And so why do you know part of it? We're talking about police brutalizing people and shooting people and things of that nature. Why are we bringing lethal weapons to things that don't require them? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, and those are all the questions that need to be asked of our police forces: is why is it this way? And what could be done to make this function in a more just way? Because right now they're not. That's just mm-hmm. the facts. It may be working for you and your experience, but it's not working for everybody. And people are dying and continue to die, particularly black people, right? So mm-hmm. it's just, it doesn't make sense. And I think to talk about the other extreme of it, right? There mm-hmm. is groups of people saying defund the police and completely abolish the police and turn into some, you know, community... Uh, enforced model right and that Uh seems really extreme to some people right Uh now i don't know quite how that'd be implemented i haven't seen enough to figure out how that would look but i don't think we should just say oh that's stupid right away we have to actually think about what the foundation of american policing has been right it Uh has a troubling foundation a huge handful of the police departments in the south are originated from slave patrols going to catch runaway slaves. And a Mm -hmm. bunch of the police departments in the North basically formed out of rich people hiring gangsters to protect their property. Mm -hmm. So it's, they're all built on hierarchy and protecting the hierarchy. Right. And to say that that's history and doesn't play out today is simply a lie. Right. So one example is the St. Louis police department is one of the police departments that originates from a slave patrol, Um, trying to catch runaway slaves, right? Mm -hmm. And this particular department was famous for using bloodhounds to track runaway slaves and to attack them, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you also need to note then that this same police force today, this is from 2015, 2016, right? Uses dogs, police dogs, to sick people and can sick them on any suspect they feel, Mm -hmm. right? There's not much regulation at that. So the exact same thing. They're still using bloodhounds and different dogs to sick people. And then you look at those stats. I believe it's from 2015. It could be 2016. I got to double check. Um, And they looked at who dogs were sicked on. Every single person who had a dog sicked on them was black, right? Mm. This is 2015, 2016, St. Louis, right? Mm -hmm. And the surrounding areas. So to act as if you don't see the continuing line Mm. from – slave patrols to police departments or in the north from gangsters to protect wealthy people's property to now is just to be dishonest with the history right Mm -hmm. so because there's a troubling foundation it should at least be called to question i don't know how it'd be implemented but it should at least be called to question should we just abolish these whole things and rebuild a whole new system 
destroying rebuild as Nas said yeah and it hasn't worked I mean for the entirety of American history police forces have been used to terrorize and put and keep in place minority communities specifically black communities and poor white communities like that is what we have seen that's what we've experienced the history is there it's right there in front of your face right um yeah, so I agree with you. It is time to rethink these things, and nothing should be off the table in terms of discussion. And, um, and with that said, well, I, I got some ideas. All right. I want to throw Give some ideas out to you. I feel like I haven't said these on a podcast. I might be wrong. If I have, my bad. Thanks for listening twice, right? But I got some ideas. Now, I don't think any of these ideas are revolutionary necessarily, and I think that they're also conceding some things to, you know, people kind of on the other side, right? This is not this initial thought. Again, this is a a work in progress. This is some brainstorming a little bit. These are some ideas I'm going to throw out there on a podcast, right? And I want you, you will to tell me kind of what you think of this stuff is viable or not, if it's a good idea, bad idea, whatever. Listeners, same thing. And again, we're workshopping. So, you know, we'll come back. Maybe we'll say, okay, this wouldn't work. That would, that would, maybe, whatever. Um, So, we talk a lot about policing and a major issue that people bring up. And I, I'll say, I don't know if I necessarily agree that this is a major issue uh, because I think the real issue in our policing is the system in and of itself, um, what it is designed to do and the entire criminal justice uh, system in general. So ideally I would say tear it down and build it back up. But in this instance, these ideas, I'm going to say, we're, we're still, we are still kind of working within the system, but they should lessen some of the things that we see. Uh, so going back to it, you know, people say it, there's, the issue is many cops don't live in the community they police, um, and it feeds into kind of this us versus them mentality. So here, here's some things that I would like to see implemented. One, let's require that every – that a cop has spent at least one year of his life or within the past five years living in the area he is policing. So before that cop is hired, right? We're going to look and say, Hey, did you live, you know, you can go by zip code or radius to the precinct maybe. Um, so whichever precinct you're working out of, did you live within, let's say a five mile radius of this precinct at some point in the last five years, right? That solves one issue being, you're working within a community that you live in, essentially. Now, there's different neighborhoods and whatnot. It's a little hard to get it down to neighborhood-specific, right? You had to live within 10 square blocks. Or something. <laughs> you know, so we'll say five miles, right? I think that's, that's pretty close. That's, you know, like not that long of a drive, right? Um, so that's one thing. Another issue, we talk about this blue you know, this blue wall of silence. There's, I don't remember the exact terminology, but essentially – um, what we see, and Will, if you know people that are cops, you might have seen this too, um, but when people come, become police officers, they kind of just get ingrained in cop culture, right? And we create that us versus them mentality, right? Um, and I think in large part you get that because most cops are lifers, right? You got people that have been on the force 20, 30, 40 years. They're ingrained in their thought process. You hear so often, uh, well, you know, when you deal with the quote-unquote worst in society all the time, you know, it gets you jaded and this, that, and other, right? Let's put a stop to that. Let's put a cap on police service. I say five years. Five mm-hmm. years doesn't sound like a lot of time, right? Comma, however, that's about how long most people serve in the military, and the military seems to be doing just fine. 
maybe we can have a few exceptions, you know, in terms of the leadership and that sort of thing, right? You know, after five years, either you become a captain or whatever, uh, you know, or, or you move on. And maybe that, that role is not on the street on a regular, you know, you're, you're essentially a trainer or in a supervisor. Right. Um, but let's say, let's cap it at five years. Right. What, what does that do? That means we are on some level preventing that element of jadedness. If that's a word uh, from coming into play as much, you know, people are that, that are becoming cops are knowing this is only a stage in my life. This is not who I will be forever. I'll be a cop for these next five years and then I'm going to move on and do something else. Right. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, live within that community or, you know, another community as not, as no longer, I won't be a cop anymore, basically. You know, we, we know a lot of people, they kind of put that cop mask on and they just live in that. That's what they are. That's who they are. That's how they view the world. And thus that's how they begin to treat people from that kind of cop us versus them, you know, you're the enemy, as you said, with all these militarized police forces, <laughs> right? So now we have people that are just doing this for a time, all right? Now here's my idea how, how we do that. If you look at a country like Israel, Israel has mandatory uh, military service for citizens once they turn, it's either 18 or 21 or something like that, I can't recall. Once they turn a certain age, they have to put a mandatory, I think, three years in the military. Now, I'm not obviously, we don't need everybody putting the mandatory you know, time in, in the police force, but... What if we hire what if we hire cops, you know, at say the age of twenty, twenty-one, you know? And so essentially we're saying, okay, you had to lit we're taking kids from, you know, this general kind of school district. We have, you know, say in a city of a hundred thousand, we have ten slots a year because again, people are cycling out, right? So we have ten spots a year. If you're gonna work in this neighborhood, you had to come from this uh, particular um, area. Or if you're gonna work through this precinct, you had to come from you know this neighborhood or this school district or whatever, right? And so you're taking these kids and you're putting, you're giving them uniforms and whatnot. You're training them well to become a police officer. You're saying, okay, you're only gonna do this five years, and let's treat it like the military will. Let's let's say, hey, after you're done with this, we're gonna give you money towards your education. And I've toyed around with the idea of maybe even making it specific to uh, paying for some level of school that is within the criminal justice system on some level, right? So future, you know, lawyers, judges, I don't know, bail bonds or whatever, right? Uh, but it can be anything, you know? So, hey, now we're not just getting the, the now, now the people that are applying to be a police officer aren't just, you know, the bullies, the people that are power hungry, whatever. Now you can get some folks that are saying, hey, look, I have future ambition and things of that nature even outside of this. I want to do this for five years. This is going to be a service to my community. Hopefully, you know, maybe we pay well, whatever, but I'm also going to get some money towards my future, you know? So you're not, so you're kind of increasing the pool. We talk a lot about, about how, um, you know, what the requirements are to become a police officer and how they're kind of low and all those sorts of things. Well, now maybe we'll get some higher level candidates, right? And not only that, they know they're not going to be there forever and they're from the area. Right. So you have people policing areas that they are from for a limited amount of time, knowing full well that they will be in integrated back into that community after they are done policing. Right. So ideally, in my mind, again, this is this is all a rough draft. You're going to have people that are going to do a better job of a knowing their community and caring for their community. Because, again, they came from there and they're also going to be a part of that community, most likely. Um, 
they're going to treat ideally they will treat people with more fairness and humanity because again these are going to be their neighbors you know people that one day they're going to encounter some of these people without a badge and a gun or you know whatever it happens to be because they're no longer a cop you know and so ideally i think that that creates inherently better community slash police relationships right there and then you're also hopefully creating an environment where people aren't, where the cops are not going to, uh, I guess, close ranks as much, right? You got people cycling out every year, cycling in every year, and we're not having to protect the twenty-year veteran, you know, who who beat somebody up because we're trying, we're worried about his pension, and we know him as a person, and whatever, 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 and all these different things that come up. So if we have more transparency within the department, and if people are only there match five years, guess what? The department is going to be more willing to do. Hey, you messed up. You out of here. Yeah. yeah. We're, 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 you know, you're not lifers. So we're not invested in your career on that level. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, two other ideas that I want to throw out there, Will, and then I'll let, I'll have you respond to all this. One, I, I talked, touched on this a little bit before. We don't need guns for everything. Lock, keep a gun locked up in the trunk of the car. Right. If you if you're in a situation and there'll be protocols and um, uh, specific requirements for this, if there's a situation where an officer truly needs a weapon, a deadly weapon, they can then unlock their truck, pop the truck, and go get one, right? But you don't need a weapon on you all the time. Traffic stops are voluntary. The cop has chosen to stop you. He doesn't need a gun on him for a traffic stop unless there's real, true, and documentable is documentable <laughs> a word but documented cause for fear that a true violent crime is being committed or true fear for one's life prior to the encounter then okay you can go get the weapon right for the most part you don't need a weapon you stop somebody on the highway because they're going you know 63 and a 55 you don't need to have your gun on you in that situation keep your taser if you want you know if you absolutely need it, a taser is about just as effective as a gun in terms of uh, putting the suspects down and, and, and disabling them for a time, right? But then we're not going to be killing people over silly things. You pull, you pull up on somebody on the street who's acting erratic, you don't need to have a gun on you for that situation, right? You Keep your vest on so you're still protected, right? <laughs> but you don't need a gun for every situation. Yeah. Um, and actually, in my last point, didn't write it down is floating around in my head, but go ahead. Well, what do you think about those things? And if I could think of that, my, my fifth and final uh, point that I want to drop, on you, uh, I'll bring it back up. But what do you think about those elements first? Like I got you on a bit, but I think it definitely would change the power structure of policing. I think that would be important, right? Because there's the closeness of connection. There's not the life idea, career idea, right? Um, and I think it definitely makes the job more prestigious if you're actually going to have, uh, you know, economic and educational benefit to serving for a little bit and then leaving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is typically why people, or at least why most people enter the military, right? They know there's a lot of benefits with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly I think that's part of it. Uh, I think that would be good. Completely agree with the gun. I think part of the gun thing is, people would be like, well, what if somebody comes in with a gun and kills? I mean, it's American gun culture thinks that the gun solves everything, mm-hmm. right? The fact is it doesn't. And most of the time with policing, it seems to be resulting in 
somebody else dying or a power move to have somebody obey your command, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I definitely agree that the normal everyday policing doesn't need a weapon of that caliber, right? That can end a life, mm-hmm. like you said, tasers way. So I remember I'll, my fifth point. You remember it? I mean, yeah. I like so so far. I like where you're going, um, and I think if you change a structure like this, it would also allow you to change the funding because you wouldn't have a militarized police, which means you could invest in education, in housing, in getting social workers to respond to homeless, mentally ill people instead of ar- these cop army soldiers that we have now. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um. So my fifth and final point that I had thought of, you know, we talked about policing, you know, being a community service, right? You're supposed to be servants of the community. And so one thing that I've really noticed as I've seen some of these arguments and people are, oh, how dare they defund the police? There's a large segment of the population that clearly, from the things they say, cares way more about the well-being of the police than they do about the citizens that the police are supposed to protect. Right. And that's wild to me being that there's not a single person, there's not a single police officer in this country who was forced to take that job, right? It is a voluntary True. position that they take, right? And they are taking it to serve and protect the community. So the fact that so, so many people, you know, they obviously care, you know, we saw cops walking off the job in Atlanta because they were so upset that the cops that um, killed the gentleman outside of Wendy's were charged with a, with a crime, right? They were so upset and people were applauding them. Right. So clearly you guys care more about the feelings of the officers than the life of the people that were killed. And I say that because with this next um, uh, uh, idea that I have here, this is really a reminder that policing is a community service job. Right. So my, my, my last thought is if you fire your weapon, you are done. Point blank, period. And hmm. the only thing that we have to decide is whether you're going to leave the force with, you know, your whatever, you know, small pension that that you accumulated, you know, again, this is on on a five-year plan, or, you know, whatever monies you were owed based on your time of service to your, you know, your college education, or if you leave it with nothing, right? Now, ideally, Mm -hmm. if you you do something unjust, you should be charged with it, obviously. Um, But I say that because if the rule is, hey, look, if you fire your weapon, you are done. And I say that this is, this is also benefiting the police. I was talking to my sister in law the other day um, and she is a therapist and she was, you know, just talking a little bit, little bit about the trauma that a lot of people have before they even become a cop or a firefighter. Like a lot of these folks have trauma in their lives and things that they need to deal with anyway. Um, even if we're caring for the individual police officers, firing your weapon at a citizen should cause some level of trauma. There should be some level of, mental health check that needs to take place there, right? True. What we should not want is cops on the street who have been firing their weapons or shooting or physically harming other citizens because it should cause some level of mental or emotional anguish if you are hurting the people that you are uh, supposed to be protecting. I know some people will say, well, you know, maybe they hurt somebody that deserved to be hurt. Okay, but you're you're supposed to serve and protect the entire community even somebody with a criminal record, even somebody that is committing a crime. 
Now, should you arrest that person? Yes, and all, all of that. But the cop's job is not to be judged and juried and determine if somebody is good or bad or deserved it or not deserved it, right? Yes, yeah. if you need to protect the community from another individual, fine, do so. But point is, it should cause some level of, I don't know, mental, emotional mental disturbance, right? So anybody that fires a weapon should be receiving some level of counseling anyway. But we should not want that person back on the street, right? Because mm. we don't know what the effects are. And we've heard, I've seen plenty of times that cops will say, you know, I've gone my whole career and I've never fired a shot, right? And ideally, that's how it should be, right? Yeah. Most people, many cops say, I've gone my whole career and I've never even drawn my gun, right? And that's how it should be. But if the statement is, if the rule is in place that, hey, if I fire my weapon, I am off the force. My job is over. And I've even toyed around with just saying, okay, I'm, that person is off the street. Or maybe they're doing some desk job. But practically i don't know how that works because it's not like there's always a desk job open and available right but True. just hey you're done here's what's going to happen the only time a cop will be firing their weapon well maybe not the only time because i guess there's holes you can talk about somebody that's you know four years and 10 months in or whatever right but for the most part the only time a cop is going to be firing their weapon is when they really truly feel like they have to because their life is truly in danger yeah because they know as soon as this weapon is fired, my job and my career, at least in this section, is over, right? So I'm firing to save my life, or I'm, so I'm firing to save someone else's life, right? Yeah. And I think that that really solves the problem. And again, if the pushback is, well, sometimes it's justified, da 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 I get it. And so if it's justified, hey, your career may be over, but you're still going to get the money, like the educational funds that are due to you and all mm -hmm. of that sort of thing. But, we're, but you know, hey, you just got to kind of – your job is done here, right? And, again, this is a community service that you are doing. And you're getting paid for it. But so we're not as concerned with your individual career as we are the community. And so we, we can't have a cop that has fired a weapon on another citizen on the job. Why? Because we don't know what the effects are. Maybe there's studies that show, maybe you're more likely, or maybe there's studies that show it, I don't know, but maybe you're more likely to pull your weapon on somebody again if you've done it already. Maybe you're less likely, and now, you know, there might be a time when it is justified. We don't know, but after you've gone through that theoretical trauma, we, you know, you don't need to be here on the force anymore, and we're also making sure we discourage all the nonsense. You fire your weapon, you're done. What do you think? I'm, I mean, off the initial here, I'm feeling it. it. It makes sense within the the already built model of the five years and there being educational things planted, but I think it would definitely cause people to think twice, right, mm -hmm. about shooting the weapon, which makes sense because that's the problem with, um, you know, even the executive order that Trump gave on police reform, which we haven't really talked about. I don't want to really talk about it, but um, one of the things that it was like, it bans chokeholds, but then it bans chokeholds unless you fear for your life, which has always been this massive loophole mm -hmm. for policing and violence and brutality is I feared for my life, which is such a subjective thing. But if there's actual repercussions for just do, using any force, no matter what, right? then you actually will have feared for your life or needed to save someone to lose it, right? And then exactly having a judge, jury, the whole thing, judge whether it was justifiable or not, and maybe we put in more accountability to figure out those things, right? Um, yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense to me. 
and that fear for your life thing, I've I've actually seen people try to claim that the that the officer that shot uh, Richard Brooks, that's the man that was killed uh, down in the Wendy's in Georgia, feared for his life as he shot a man who was running away in the back. You know, the man was running away. He had no weapon but the taser that he'd taken off of the cop, which no longer worked because it had been fired twice. And they knew it, it no longer worked, yeah. Yeah, and so people are saying, well, he feared for his life. How did he fear for his life when he shot somebody who was literally running away from him without a weapon to fire back at him? Yeah. And so, again, like you said, like it, this stuff is so subjective and it's so hard to prove in court at times that, look, let's do, let's let's take all the nonsense out. That's what I said, like, you fire your gun, you're done. What, what, whatever comes after that, you know, hopefully, ideally, you know, we'll have systems in place and people will be prosecuted or whatever when they need to be. But whatever comes after that, you fire your gun, you're done. Like you said, you got to think twice that there's no, well, I'm going to get an award for this. There's no, well, I'm protected or none of that nonsense, right? We look, and, and right now I'm just talking about firing your weapon. You know, we need to, I, I, I need to take it further, you know, say, hey, if you cause, some significant level of injury to anybody, even with your hands. And obviously, you know, significant is a, you know, that's a, a wide term or a, a broad term. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Hey, you beat somebody, you cause whatever you're done, you know, and maybe, and maybe you needed to, maybe you had a crackhead and you're fighting them or whatever you needed to, you did what you had to do at the time to get in. This is again, me giving a lot of ground and leeway to the police, right? But you did what you had to do because he was a danger to himself and others, and you got him in the car, but he got a broken jaw now. And so, you know, hey, look, I did my job, but I'm off the force, you know? And if you're mad about understanding, again, this is reinforcing that, hey, this is a community service that you're doing, you know? Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of a – I can't even think of an example, but if I'm, if I'm a dog walker, you know, if one of my dogs goes tr- goes crazy, you know, and tries to bite a kid, and I hit him in the head with a shovel or something <laughs> to prevent him from biting a kid, you know, maybe I did my job as a human being and I saved that kid's life, but I'm probably not going to get another job as a dog walker because I, I I hit a dog over the head with a shovel, right? It's like, okay, look, it is what it is, right? <laughs> I don't know. That's a terrible example that I can't. Yeah, that's, that's a terrible example, but I, I get that. Now, <laughs> yeah. That was my critique too. Is I think. It, we have to figure out a way to go. Obviously, with the recent murder of George Floyd, we have to go beyond even the gun. But the gun is definitely the first thing that needs to be called into question because it's obviously lethal and deadly and rarely does any good. Um, right. But some way to figure out what, what, how force is used, right, and how it'll be paid back. But I think, again, for this all to start, there has to be complete restructuring of police departments and the way policing works. And this is kind of what what needs to be wrestled with. This is what defund the police is saying is we need to bring a lot of this back to actual community service, actually protect and serve instead of these robo military cops out here fighting mugs and throwing tear gas and stuff. You know? Yeah, and, and you know, and like you said, a lot of this started with the war on drugs, but that that is the biggest the bigger point here that policing in America has really turned into a a war on the community, a war on poor communities, a war on minority communities. Um, and we have to find a way to change that because if that doesn't change, and again, the entire criminal justice system is a problem, right? Like there are things that need to change all throughout that, all, throughout all those yeah. steps in terms of seeing the, the, the prison system, all of that, right? But the ground level is policing. 
and quite frankly, I'm a bit cynical because as long as these other things are in place, again, policing is working exactly how it's designed to work right now. Right. Which we have to remember yeah. that what, what policing is doing is what it's supposed to do, uh, what it's designed to do, what it was created to do. Right. So we need to change that because what it's created to do is problematic, harmful and dangerous. to again, poor communities, white, black and, you know, whatever other race. Um, and so these are the steps we're taking to, to not fix that, but to change that and to create something that is actually protecting and serving everybody. Um, so these are the first steps. So again, when you hear defund police and abolish police and all of that, you, you need to first, if, if you, if that, if you have immediate pushback or if you feel something, like, I don't know about that. You have to ask yourself, what are police do, actually doing right now? What were they actually designed to do? And is that beneficial to everybody? Is that helpful to everybody? And are all communities being protected and served? And if the answer is no, then we have to figure out how do we get there. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's really a good place. And this is where uh, this is an opportunity for us to actually rethink all of this. So if you if you're okay with the way the system is now, clearly you're in the hierarchy that has been protected, or you've just had good experience. Sometimes that happens, but uh, the reality is it's not that way for everybody. So let's start to put all these ideas out there so we can actually create something that works. Mm -hmm. So we can take this, uh, Kellen's idea, we need to take this to the cities because I do think it has, has a lot of potential, right? Uh, hey, look. Safe, man. Let's keep writing we're, it up. We're going we're gonna to put it out there. So again, feel free, feel free to share your thoughts with us. You know, uh, we, you know, Will and I, we have these conversations here for y'all, but you know, we would love to continue these conversations offline. We, you know, we talk on social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, email us, whatever you got to do so that, um, you know, you can be a part of this conversation. Cause again, I, you know, these are just ideas that I've had. I'm workshopping them. <laughs> we're, we're all thinking through them. Other people are thinking through and sharing their ideas right now too. So, um, you know, I don't claim to be an authority on, on these things and I know neither does Will, but we think we know a little bit about some of this stuff. So we're sharing that. So, um, you know, with that said, reach out to us on Twitter again at Kingdom X Dreams. Um, catch, catch us at KingdomDreamer.com. You can catch, catch us on Facebook at the Kingdom Dreamers. Is that what it is? Kingdom Dreamers? Yeah, Kingdom yeah, Dreamers on Facebook. Um, comment on there. Um, we certainly love to hear from y'all. So, um, but we appreciate y'all checking us out this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. You know, we were, we were doing seasons. We we're going to have 10 shows a season, but then the world kind of blew up, <laughs> you know, to be extended. A little bit. Yeah. It, it, I feel like it'd be irresponsible of us to, to just kind of, kind of stop and cease right now. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to keep going. Um, but so check us out next week. Uh, we appreciate y'all. Um, while while we're listeners here in 2020 and our future listeners in 2024 appreciate y'all as well so uh, we thank y'all for being here with us and uh with that said we out yep kingdomdreamer.com peace peace Thank you for listening to another episode of the Wild Wild World Show. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Follow us on Twitter at Kingdom X Dreams and learn more at KingdomDreamer.com.
We are proud to partner with Fiverr, the online marketplace for freelance services to get stuff done. If you have any business or creative needs, you need to check out Fiverr, whether that's a logo design, website optimization, social media boost, video production, you can find it all on Fiverr. We as the Kingdom Dreamers have used them for many of their services and plan to continue. Check them out at the link in our show notes.